Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. This is where we explore third-way leadership in a polarized world, and we ask what it means to keep Jesus at the center through it all. We hope you'll find the conversation meaningful and that it equips you in your context with fresh approaches to facing some of the most challenging leadership and ministry questions of our day. And hey, if you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! We are a relational network of churches and ministry leaders with a vision to unite, equip, and amplify a movement that is all about Jesus. You can look us up on social media or head to our website at JesusCollective.com to learn more, find out what it means to get involved, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. Today's episode, I am so excited about. I am compelled by the question, what are we missing because we don't have the right voices at the table? And that is just a personal quest that I am always on. As a woman in a male-dominated industry, I am consistently aware of how, if there were more women at the table, how the conversations would be different. And that compels me to ask, who else are we missing at the table? And I, in my opinion, we cannot afford in the Western view of Christianity or in the majority world, we cannot afford to miss what the minority cultures or minority world could be teaching us. The victories that they're having, the creativity that they're doing, the way that they suffer, not just the fact that they suffer, how they bring Jesus into their suffering. There is so much for us to learn if we would engage in that conversation. And to that end, today's episode is to pull our attention to a bigger picture of the church and with that, a bigger picture of God. And we are really excited to do that with Cesar. John, would you mind introducing Cesar to us? So uh, our guest today is Cesar Garcia. Cesar is the General Secretary of Mennonite World Conference. So Mennonite World Conference is a it's a uh, a group of uh, Anabaptist churches and denominations that have come together to unite global voices around the world and to facilitate conversations between uh, churches and Christians about the issues of our day that we need to be talking with each other about. Um, They are um, really focused on relationships. This is why we have so much affinity with Mennonite World Conference is their um, priority on relationships. And CESAR is giving leadership to this mission uh, as the general secretary. He's uh, a very (laughs) well-studied global Christian leader. And I think today we will learn so much from the breadth of his experience of the global church. Uh, as one who's from Colombia, he brings a South American and unique and needed perspective to this conversation as well. And uh, coming soon, be on the lookout. There's a book that Caesar Cesar wrote uh, called What is God's Kingdom and What Does kingdom citizenship look like it's by harold press and uh it's a great book especially from this global perspective so cesar thank you for being with us here today we're so excited um would you share with us what we need to what you believe we need to know about you as we start this conversation well thank you john and thank you angela for having me here it's it's a pleasure for me uh well as you said i am from colombia south america uh, so I was a church planter there for several years, a local pastor too, 
And then I was also uh, leading the Mennonite Brethren National Conference in Colombia for, for some years. So that's, that's my background. As you can hear, because of my accent, I am originally from a Spanish-speaking country, which means I am still struggling with some pronunciation and grammar issues. Uh, so, but it is, it is a blessing for me to, to be able to, to serve uh, our global church in, in this position as General Secretary of Mennonite World Conference. This is now my 10th year uh, working uh, with Mennonite World Conference and serving in this way. Would you begin, do you find just like pulling up to the altitude that you fly at all of the time? Would you just give us a couple of highlights of things that you see? Like we'll press in for sure, but would you just give us a couple of highlights that you see of patterns that are developing that bring you hope in the global church? Wow. Well, let me think about it. Uh, yeah, there are, there are uh, several places where there is this kind of, let's say, thirst, thirst for Anabaptist roots and Anabaptist uh, theology. So it's so interesting to see how in many places our Anabaptist way of understanding uh, what, what is the meaning of following Christ is, is very relevant and is very important, right? So that's one of the things that is, is uh, uh, giving me hope today. Um, another thing that I can mention is how many churches join together uh, to support each other in context of persecution or suffering or dealing with a natural disaster. So that's also, that's also very special to see how, how many people are able to, to look for ways of supporting in a practical way, uh, others that are dealing with these kind of challenges. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's always, uh, giving, giving me hope. Um, and I will say that, uh, what the church is always, when I think about the church as a organic, uh, movement, it's always giving hope because of the different context where, where the church is, right? So when I think about how the church in Netherlands is facing a postmodern society, and then a church like the one in Malawi is facing extreme poverty. Or another church like uh, the one in Colombia or in Congo, how they face uh, violence or persecution as it is going on in India and Eritrea, then, then we can see, uh, well, how churches are, are really alive and how they face all these challenges in a way that, that is inspiring, that yeah gives you hope in the midst of, of other difficult contexts as the one that we are facing all of us today, the pandemic, plus, uh, yeah, many, many difficult situations. So, yeah, church is always uh, life-giving in the midst of, of uh, many challenges, in the midst, of course, of also uh, mistakes, uh, sins that, that are part of us. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's, it's great Speak to be for yourself. to the church. Speak for yourself. You can't you can't label you can't label all of us as all sinners. Of the sinners? I mean, what? come on, come on. Come on. <laughs> so I I want to key in on um so not everybody who tracks with Jesus Collective or or is a partner. In fact, actually, the majority of those who are a part of Jesus Collective or tracking are not from a historic Anabaptist heritage. And so, can you give some definition when you say that? I loved hearing you say that churches around the world, you're hopeful because churches around the world in, in these countries, these um, 
minority voiced countries, underrepresented countries, are drawn to an Anabaptist perspective of Jesus. Can you flesh that out for us? What is it that they are being drawn to in the message of Jesus that you would say is, is the Anabaptist understanding of Jesus or faith? Well, uh, I would say that, that there is a set of different emphases that we share with all Christians around the world. It's not mm-hmm. exclusive of Anabaptists. But the way in which we put them together is what makes us uh, specifically Anabaptists. So our, our understanding of following Christ, this idea of, of a deep relationship with Christ as the center of our faith, well, that's crucial. And that has implications, implications about how we interpret the Bible, right? Uh, it's is, is, uh, possible to see the Bible as a plain book in which all the different uh, books of the Bible have the same level of authority, let's say in that way. But from the Anabaptist perspective, the fact of saying that we have Jesus as our center means that everything that we see in the Bible goes through the lenses of how we see Jesus' life, how he was, uh, well, living his teachings in his own experience uh, 2,000 years ago. So that's mm-hmm. that's one key factor for, for us as Anabaptists. Um, and because of that, we can then name other other implications of, of, of putting Jesus as the center of our faith. Uh, one has to do with, with, uh, in the midst of this, of this, uh, context of polarization in many countries, uh, political polarization, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, again, I insist is uh, an issue that is going on in many countries. So, um, the, the fact of saying that Jesus is our center that helped us to overcome political partisan divisions and helps mm-hmm. us to see that we belong to a new nation a nation that is made up by people from different cultures, different languages, people that have different customs than we have. But because of Jesus, it's possible to be together and actually to be one. Mm -hmm. So this this emphasis on community in a, let's say, transnational, multicultural way is also one implication of having Jesus as center or our supreme uh, loyalty is with Jesus, it's not with a flag, or it's not with a country, it's not with a political partisan, well, let's say a political party. Um, so, because of our high priorities, Jesus, then it's possible to be one in the midst of differences. Mm-hmm. So, that's another implication. So, I mentioned Bible, I mentioned community. Uh, we can also speak about, about reconciliation as one of the, of the key points of Anabaptist uh, Beliefs, and it has to do with this idea of, of, of inviting others to follow Jesus and to reconcile with God, which has implications about reconciliation with other people. So, uh, how we deal with conflicts uh, in a Jesus way uh, has to do with reconciliation, has to do with forgiveness, with restorative justice. It has to do with with uh, uh, being peacemakers, which means. Uh, in a very summarized, simplified way, the, the idea of responding with love to those that uh, maybe attacked us or that are uh, dealing with, with, with uh, a position of, of, of being enemies of us. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if, if we deal with persecution, if we deal with 
let's say, bad conflict. So to react as Jesus did is, is a key factor because Jesus is the center of our faith. So those, I would say those three uh, ways of understanding following Jesus are, are key understandings uh, from the Anabaptist perspective. So having Jesus as center implies yeah, a communion, implies following Christ in, in, in a practical way, implies reconciliation. That's what we, that we try to do in Mennonite World Conference. Thank you. Oh, that's so clear. Thank you. Cool. So, Cesar, I'm already going off book. Like, like, good. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> I'm still going off script, really? Right. Well, we want this to be You're a conversation so that's shaped. Yeah. Yes. Okay, but I can't help. But, okay, so one of my hopes about this conversation is that we can, we can recognize that our spiritual siblings have a boatload to teach us about our very privileged world and the ramifications yeah. of being bathed and saturated in privilege. So we're coming, you know, we've been in a year plus of, so my context is the United States. We've been a year plus of what a lot of Christians have perceived as political um, oppression when it comes to our church expressions. So the government would say you can or you cannot meet or you must be under these conditions or whatever. And we have felt such frustration and uh, trying to figure out how to uh, interact with what for the first time in many of our lives has felt like an oppressive government rule. But then I look at our spiritual siblings across the globe and I think we have something to learn. We have something to learn about, I don't know, if you're going to say, well, yes, this ties back to the concept of enemy love. I don't know if this is going to press back to like your ultimate, uh, the point that you were making about our ultimate loyalty. I would sure really love to hear, even if it's corrective, if you say, you know what, my American friends could really stand to learn. And I don't even know if it's American. Again, that's my context. But I would love some insight from a a more global perspective about what's happening in this moment when we don't know really how to interact with a government that's involved, when our global siblings are dealing with this all the time. What are we missing? Yeah, and, making and they're being so persecuted. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're being persecuted too. Like you were, you were telling me about earlier, say, sorry, you're like the church of Malawi that's being persecuted by corrupt government and others and yeah. what is there for yeah. us to learn there like right yeah, yeah. well one, one of the things that that i try to address in my book is the fact that um the christian church emerged in a context of uh, uh persecution in a context of oppression they were let's say the people that, that were at the margins of the of the roman empire so, and it, it has been in that way for, for centuries, actually to be part of the, of the privileged or to be part of the, of the people that are in positions of power, uh, had been more the, when we think about the, the global church, had been more the, the exception to the rule that, that the norm. Yeah. So the, the most natural setting for, for a Christian church to flourish is in a context of persecution or oppression or being part of a minority 
uh, uh, in, in a society. So when we think about about uh, churches, uh, yeah, and there are several experiences about that in in our global you know global village today. But um, one of the church uh, of the churches that is more interesting to see at is the church in Ethiopia. Mm. The church in Ethiopia was dealing with persecution, political persecution, for several years during the Marxist regime. And it was precisely during those years, the years where they lost their buildings, the years where they were not allowed to meet publicly, the years where they had to go underground for their meetings. It was precisely during these years that they grew in one exponential way. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't have the exact uh, numbers here, but it's like saying, well, you know, we are 5,000 people. Uh, then we go under persecution. And 10 years later, we, we are 50,000 or 100,000, something like that. It's, it's just amazing to see how, how that church has been growing. And actually today, that church, the church in Ethiopia, is the biggest national church in all the Anabaptist world. If wow. you think about the U.S., Canada, Europe, Latin America, Asia, Africa, the church in Ethiopia is the biggest one. They are around 400,000 members, which means adults that have been baptized, plus uh, children, visitors. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a huge church, but again, that, that grew specifically during the time of persecution. So coming back to, to, to the initial question, um, yeah, I, I think we need to, to be aware and, and try to remember who wrote about this. I, I just for, forget uh, 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 the, 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 author's, the author's name, but, but somebody said that uh, God is closer to tears than to smiles, right? <laughs> So uh, and that's that's a reality, and it's not that we want to to uh, worship poverty or suffering. It's not that we need to look for that. It's that it's just part of life. I mean, in the global north, uh, there is always a tendency of ignoring suffering, but it is all around, right? It's one of the reasons why we have a lot of suicides. The the rate of suicides oh, yeah. in the global north is higher than in the global south. Oh yeah. So the tendency in the global north is to ignore. Uh, suffering. The tendency in the global south is to try to escape from suffering, but but when we look at Jesus, then we can see that that is in the in the midst of suffering that that we can that we can discover how God is and that God is closer to us because it's the way in which uh, God decided to 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 reveal uh, Himself in, in in the person of Jesus. Right. So Cesar, this church in Ethiopia. They're growing under under persecution. They're the largest Anabaptist communion in the world. What what so who are they? How are they growing? So what is it that they're that they have they contain that's not found in their culture that's causing others to flock to them and to want to join and be a part of that community in persecution? Because that's you know the Chinese church is the same way. That's kind of from the Western perspective. It's a mind blower because. Well, how can you how can you grow if you don't have freedom? Like, because that's how our brains work. But these are the opposite. So, how are they growing when they don't have freedom? Yeah. Well, one one of the things that is is crucial has to do with with the values that I mentioned before. This emphasis mm-hmm. on the person of Jesus, which means that 
the emphasis is not primarily on doctrine about Jesus. It's okay. on the person of Jesus. Say more, because that's that's a mind that's, that's a mind bender for, for many. What yeah. do you mean by that? So that means that that and I'm just remembering Tertullian, one of the leaders of the early church, uh, he said you don't need to teach doctrine to a person that is coming to, to faith immediately. That's not the most important thing. You need to, to teach that person to follow Jesus. Then later, you may teach that person theology or doctrine. Mm. Later in the process. Because what that person needs is a, a vibrant experience, a relational experience with Jesus. Which, by the way, may be one of the reasons why some of our churches in the, in the majority world, in the global church, uh, or in the global south, have a lot of, of uh, Pentecostal influence. Because it's this idea of, of uh, emphasizing experience and a vibrant, alive relationship with Jesus. Then, uh, well, that's, that would be a key, a, key, a key point. But then if you are dealing with suffering and persecution, you really need a community in which you can find support. So for many of these churches, uh, one of the key factors of, of growing has to do with this strong emphasis on relationships with others, which, mm -hmm. by the way, doesn't end at the doors of the building. Let me, let me explain this a little bit more. Uh, in, in, in many of our local congregations in the global north, you have the idea of, 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 of the church as something that is real because you are attending the services, right? You are part of the community. But it seems that, that that church ends at the doors of the building. You don't have immediately this idea of belonging to something that is bigger than you, your local congregation. Uh, you know, working with Mennonite World Conference, it has been interesting for me to see how in the global north, there is often this very specific question. Why do we need something like a global church? Why do we need Mennonite World Conference? Well, that question is not so common in the global south. If you are going in to, to, to Africa or Latin America or Asia, well, that's quite obvious. You have to have a global community, a global community. Because when you belong to the church, you need the support of others around you and beyond your continent. Uh, to grow in the following of Christ. I mean, if, if you are dealing with a context like the one in Colombia, my country, you need to hear from a person in Netherlands, what is the meaning of following Christ in a postmodern context? And you need to hear from somebody from Malawi, what is the meaning of following Christ in a, in a context of extreme poverty? If you don't, don't hear other voices, then you keep your own blind spots, right? Uh, so that's that's one way. Well, sorry, one reason why we need to 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 hear from others, but we also need the support of others uh, because when you are facing uh, political persecution, it is very important to find others outside of your your country that that are supporting you, that are uh, making some political advocacy to the government. Speaking about about your church to try to 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 help you to to uh, end uh, processes of persecution or or legal uh, problems that you may, may be facing. So yeah, because of practical reasons, it's very important to be part of this global community, and that's something that is not very 
common to see that understanding in churches in the in the global north. So uh, yeah, those can, are. Can you imagine? That can you imagine, Angela? Can you, can you imagine a discipleship curriculum that's like, oh, you can't follow Jesus unless you're learning from the Christians in Ethiopia. Right. <laughs> I've never been a part of that discipleship curriculum. Welcome to the program. Here's your new pen pal. Yeah. Exactly. Um, since I'd like to circle back, and, and you may refuse this question, and that would be fair, but we really enjoy provocative things. You just said something uh, about how it's not common for this thing to happen in the global north. What do you think is the main reason that is not happening? And I'm, I'm gonna, the reason I'm going to offer you the option of opting out is because I'm pretty much asking you to name one of our idols. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. <laughs> but I would really love to hear, like, when you look at whether that's a cultural idol or whatever, like, why is that not part of our expressions? Well, Angela, you know, it's, it's difficult for me coming from the global south to say what, what is, uh, I mean, that's, that may be a question for yourself. So humble, <laughs> so humble. Classic. That's a classic Anabaptist answer. I'm going to call you on that right now, Cesar. But you, you know, have can, to answer this. I can. I can respond according to what I see in my own culture, right? According to what I, I see in Colombia. Right. Because I think, um, yeah, thinking about Colombia. In Colombia, you can see, uh, yeah, several Western. Uh, tendencies that are actually damaging our church in Colombia. So one of them has to do with political polarization. Uh, recently in Colombia, there have been several local congregations from different denominations that have been attracted to support political parties and to support them in a way that, that well, polarizes uh, our churches. Uh, and I think that's that's something that is very damaging, exactly because because what I said before, and it's also again in my book, this idea of 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 uh, being aware that we are called to be uh, kingdom of God ambassadors, mm-hmm. which means that our again supreme alliance is with the kingdom of God, and if we are ambassadors, then we are representing a different a different kind of political structure in our own societies, right? Which means that my position as church has to be one that is prophetic, that is uh, denouncing injustices, regardless of the government that is going on in my country. It could be uh, from the liberal side, it could be conservative, it could be, uh, it could be socialist, it could be a democracy, it could be, uh, uh, thinking about other styles of government, it could be capitalist, it could be communist, it could be whatever it is. Uh, none of those governments are God's kingdom. And we need to uh, say that in a bold way. Uh, otherwise, we, we, we go in the direction of, of betraying our, our, let's say, <laughs> our, uh, our supreme loyalty, which is to God's kingdom, because we are ambassadors. So that's one of the things that is, is damaging our churches in Colombia. Another one is a big tendency in many churches to identify uh, following Christ with uh, the kind of of, uh, dream that uh, put you outside of suffering or uh, 
how, how to say that prosperity gospel would be another way yeah. of saying that. <laughs> so is this this idea of well you you follow Christ you are not going to suffer right you, yeah, you, yeah. You, and and that's not that's not the truth uh, yeah. uh, when you are following Christ regardless of where you are uh, you will deal with suffering you will deal with sickness with terminal sickness in your family or or yourself you will deal with losing relatives you will deal with losing your job or with a difficult boss, or with a difficult uh, classmate. Uh, you will deal with uh, different different kinds of, of suffering. Uh, you may be dealing with uh, political persecution. You may be dealing with, uh, yeah, and, and you can name it. There are many ways of suffering. So the, the God, God is not uh, promising uh, to, to remove uh, suffering from our lives. What he promises is hope. And ways of overcoming suffering, in which again community, not only local but also global, is a key factor in your in your experience of following Christ. So those those uh, uh, threats uh, are are uh, yeah affecting our churches in Colombia too. So individualism, uh, consumerism, yeah. those things are are present and are damaging our churches. I was I was speaking with a friend of mine in Costa Rica who was, we were having this kind of a global conversation like this with like global North, global South. And he said, the, the biggest import from global North, from North America, uh, especially the biggest import into his country on, of, into the church is prosperity gospel and political polarization. Um, they're essentially absorbing that through media and through Christian media into their countries and it's poisoning the well, so to speak, as he was saying, I, I, I want to um, go back to something that you said, and Paul surfaced this as well in the chat, which I think is really interesting. You had talked about before that, you know, in the West, we start with maybe the, the doctrines about Jesus or um, in traditions that are rooted in the radical reformation uh, we might start with the ethics of Jesus. But you're saying that often you see people are starting with kind of the experience of Jesus. And I remember you telling me a few weeks ago when we chatted that most of the uh, Anabaptist Christians, so those Christians whose theology is rooted in the Radical Reformation around the world, they are also uh, more on the Pentecostal charismatic expression as well, a combination that you don't see is certainly in North America and Europe, European expressions of those church traditions. So what is it about what's happening around the world that they're combining the ethics of Jesus with the experience of Jesus? What's causing that? And why do you think there's an app, maybe less likelihood of that in the, in the North American context or European context? Yeah. Well, I, I see uh, a similar scenario in, in many places in the global South of this mix of ethics and, and experience uh, yeah. coming from Pentecostalism, I see I see that as a similar scenario to the one in which the the first Anabaptists emerged. There are several okay. several stories of Anabaptists back in the 16th century uh, speaking about about prophecy, speaking about about uh, ecstasies or or um, experiences that that were quite similar to what we hear in the Pentecostal world. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's something interesting, right? To to see these kind of parallels. Uh, 
But one of the things that we try to emphasize to our churches in the global south, when they, they have a lot of, of influence from Pentecostal movements, is that we need to be careful about the need of keeping our ethical uh, uh, emphasis too, right? Because it's possible uh, to have a lot of, uh, let's say, supernatural experiences and don't be transformed in the process. Yeah. Yeah. In the way in which you live out uh, the, the experience of following Christ in your everyday work, right? So we, you, you can see a lot of, of, of people that speak about, uh, about uh, yeah, supernatural experiences, ecstasies, uh, so mystical experiences without having that uh, transforming the way in which they relate to their families, the way in which they address conflicts, the way in which they drive their, their, their cars. So, so uh, yeah, uh, we, we try to say to our churches in the Global South, look, it is okay to have uh, this kind of, of, of uh, amazing supernatural experiences uh, th th there is nothing necessarily wrong about it, but you need to to take into account that 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 needs to be linked to ethics from our Anabaptist perspective. So so if if those experiences are not uh, taking you uh, to a kind of character that is more similar to what we see in the Sermon of the Mount, Mount, then. Uh, those those experiences are are not are not very important from our perspective. So which, is so, which is so good. But why are they drawn to those experiences? Like, what is it about the way that they the way that they envision faith that they're drawn towards the experiential of Jesus? Which we may we may may or may not be classic Anabaptism in the U.S. and Canada and Europe is not as much. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious about these global Christians. Why are they gravitating in that direction? I would say that it has to do again with the context. Uh, okay. Let me give you one example. If you are dealing with a child in your family that is very sick and you don't have a physician around you and there is not a hospital in the place yeah. where you live, and you don't have money to buy medicines, what are you going to do? Well, the, the, the only resource that you may have is to pray for the child, right? So the most important thing would be to pray for healing of the, of the child. Uh, and then you need to, to find a God that actually hears your prayer and answers, right? <laughs> but in, in the global north, that's not necessarily the first step. If you are very sick or you have a relative that is sick, you go with the relative to an urgency yeah. place in, in a hospital, right? Yeah. Then maybe in the way to the hospital, you ask for prayer or, or to your church or you pray actually there. But it's not necessarily the first, the first thought. You need to look as, as soon as possible for a doctor. If there is an accident, call the doctor right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, in many of these places, the only thing that you have to do, that you can do, is to pray. Right? So this is just an example, but it will be a similar thing when you think about losing your job, when you think about a, a financial need. You need to have a, 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 a real experience of God uh, yeah. And to, to see that God is real is not only a theory, a set of doctrines that, that are organized in your head and are working very well, uh, are logical, but not necessarily, uh, which is part of, of this idea of Jesus as the center, right? You may have some wrong understandings about Jesus when you are knowing Jesus, 
starting to know Jesus as, as well, in the same way, if I introduce to you my wife, you may think about my wife and say, well, you know, I think as Cesar's wife, Sandra, she may loves soup because that's very common in Colombia, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that may be right. That may be wrong. That doesn't mean that you, if you are wrong, that doesn't mean that you don't know my wife. I already introduced her to you, right? Yeah. So it is possible to have wrong understandings of people that you know. And actually in the process, uh, along several years of relationship that happens in, in, in couples, for instance, then you discover new things from your partner that you didn't know were there before. Mm -hmm. So if we speak about that way, about human relationships, well, when we speak about our relationship with God, is the same because we're speaking about the relationship with a person. So, uh, yeah, I would say that that's the reason why in the, in the global south is, is uh, yeah, it's very important to experience God as a real person. And issues of doctrine, they go then during the process of, of the relationship. Right? Mm. All the way through this conversation, I just keep coming back to that same question that is like, what are we missing in our tiny little myopic views of God because we're not in relationship and conversation with our spiritual siblings who are sharing a completely different experience? I mean, you blew my mind with your statement about like the natural habitat. I'm just putting you here, but like the, the natural habitat for a Christian to flourish is actually under persecution or in suffering or your concept of um, God is closer to tears than a smile. I mean, all the way through this, I keep coming back to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, like this upside down way of like, you think it's bad to have lost everything. You think it is bad to be made fun of for your faith. You think it is bad, but truly there's something there for you that you want, that you will be blessed when these are things. And our privilege and our padding, it's not the right word, but it, it does feel like our circumstances are such that our Maybe this is too strong of a word, but it feels like our faith is anemic. It's missing pieces to it. Like, I think through what Haiti is going through now again, like, you know, my world is full of voices, my own internal voice included, that is hitting a compassion fatigue of like, oh, there's so many things that are so painful right now that I just am hitting some like, empathy blocks and some pity parties for myself, like just compassion fatigue. But then I look at uh, Haiti and like somehow they're finding a way to still pull together as a community. Or when you describe what's happening with churches partnering together with each other, because they live in a perpetual state of persecution. I think there's so much that we're missing. I, and I'm, I'm so curious I'd love to hear, I guess I'd just love to hear another story or two of what you're seeing when you say churches are partnering together and sustaining each other. Like, what is it that they know in their faith or their relationship with God or their experiences that sustains them under this constant state of struggle that we're missing in our, like, wow, this is a really bad year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when, 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 uh, coming back also to the topic of, of political polarization, because, because this is related. When you, uh, 
think about the mission of the church as something that is related to uh, uh, put somebody in positions of power in the in the in the political organization of your country as a way of making change, uh, then you are missing the, the the principal idea of Jesus, which was yes, we need to transform the world, but the strategy has to do with creating a new community of people that live a different set of values inside of let's say let's say in this case the Roman Empire. So there is a new a new community that is going to to show different kinds of values. And this new community then um they they don't relate in the same way that outside of that community people relate to slaves. Mm -hmm. If if you are inside of Jesus community then you you are a brother or a sister of a person that that outside of that community is a slave, right? If you are inside of, that, of this community, you are going to share financial concerns uh, with others in, in, in the midst, in, inside of this community. So you are going to experience a different, different kind of, of financial transactions, let's say a, a different kind of economy, according yeah. to God's kingdom, inside of that society. And that society therefore becomes a contrast a contracultural society to the society around. So how how that translates in our global church today? Think about your question, Angela. So if you are part of a church, let's say the church, I'm thinking about specific examples. I'm thinking about the church in uh, Japan that was dealing with, with uh, uh, I think it was an earthquake several years ago. Uh, several several buildings in this in this uh, several buildings that belong to this church were damaged, and several people, several families were dealing with with uh, the pain of losing relatives, and, and it was very very hard for this church in Japan. So, if you are part of the church uh, in Congo, right, and and you see that suffering, you you may say, oh well, poor people in Japan, right. It would be great to do something for them, but you know we are living in Congo. We don't have, we don't have resources. Our government is not going to send help to Japan because Japan, well, Japan has a lot of money. Uh, we in Congo don't have that. So sorry, but that's one way of thinking. The other way of thinking is saying you are living in Congo. Well, I belong to 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 this transnational community in which our brothers and sisters from Japan are suffering now. What can we do about it? Is there something that we can do? Well, of course, we can pray. That's the first step. Is there something else? What if we ask people to donate the equivalent of, of their lunch for, for that situation in Japan? Then people give donations, very small donations, because uh, people in Congo, they don't have the resources to pay for, uh, you know, $15 launch. They may pay for maybe $1 launch. So they put that together, and that is something that actually happened. They put an offering together and they send it to the church in Japan. And it's not the amount of money that the church in Japan received that was, wow, wonderful. Of course, that was useful. But but it is, it is this attitude of being aware that we have different economics in the body of Christ, different way of dealing with conflicts in the body of Christ, different ways of dealing with uh, uh, natural natural disaster 
in the body of Christ. We are called to be a different cross uh, contracultural uh, community to, to the king's kingdoms of, of this world. So is, is that way, way of being that helps us to then see Jesus and understand how God is when we are coming together. So you can see today teams of people from different cultures going to a different to other cultures to um, talk about experiences about conflict resolution in the midst of violence. Right? So how can we deal with, with, with uh, violence in a context like the one in India? Uh, and you can see people from Colombia teaching about it, people from from uh, Congo teaching about it, um, and so on. So so different ways of, of being one is what makes us a contrasting community to the kingdoms of, Cesar, this, of this world. Cesar, this is it's this is fascinating, and uh, so we're going to go to Q and A in about five minutes. If you have questions, you can put them in the chat, and we would love to ask those to Cesar. What what would so what would one of the churches who's being persecuted right now uh, that you know of, they, they are uh, Christians who have a faith that's rooted in the Sermon on the Mount, that we love our enemies and we try to reconcile, we forgive our enemies. We, we in, the, in the global north don't have enemies like many of our brothers and sisters in the global south have enemies like our friends our brothers and sisters and the Christians in Afghanistan have enemies right now. What would they, how would they disciple us about enemy love from your perspective? What would they say to us if we were sitting down across them and say, help us understand how do you love your enemies the way that you love your enemies? Well, I'm thinking about the, the church in India, uh, in some areas of India, not, not everywhere in India, but there are some areas in India where the church is persecuted now. Uh, there, are, there are churches under persecution in Eritrea, and, and those are just two, two places to mention among, among others. Uh, they, they, uh, they, they don't have theoretical questions about right. your enemy right yeah. have to, what do you do with the burglar yeah. breaks in we we do this we do this all day in in uh, our privileged comfort and padding yeah. what would they say to us yeah. one of the things that they that they practice as a first step to be well several comments about it first of all uh we we have to understand that loving your enemy is something that is not for you to do by yourself it's <laughs> not that that you say well you know i have to love my enemy I'm going to do it. That's just not possible, humanly speaking. You need the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to be able to, to do that. So uh, it, it has to do with, with a real, concrete, everyday dependency on God's Spirit. And that will help you to, first of all, pray for your enemy, for the well-being of your enemy. And, and it's something that, again, we, 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 we deal with Globally, I mean, we, we are speaking now about uh, enemies in the sense of persecution or violence, but, but, but we can apply that with all set of relationships. When we think about uh, a person that was abused when that person was a child, how, how do you think about the, the abuser? How do you react if you are still in, in, in some kind of contact with that person? How do you react? Uh, in, in your relationship to that person what if you have a, a boss that is abusive 
So how do you relate to that person? Or when you are studying, uh, what if, if there are bullies in, in, your, in, your, in your class? How do you relate to, to these kind of people? So you need to, to depend on the Holy Spirit and you need to start by praying for them. And then, well, there are many, many other things that, that, you, will, that, that you will have to, to think for, for how, how to apply forgiveness, how to apply restorative justice and reconciliation. And, and uh, what about, about uh, a process of, of, of uh, telling the truth and a, plus, a process, again, of, of uh, reconciliation? What are the principles that you need to, to, to think about? It? The, the, we could speak about it for hours. Right? But at least I would say that I start with, with the awareness of the fact that this is a kind of miracle. Loving your miracle. enemy is, is, is a miracle. It's not something yeah. that is natural. Something that is produced by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And it has to do in, in, in many, many, many ways, if not all, with praying, with, with praying for your enemy. I find it interesting that loving your enemies, as you describe it, is not a technique. It's not three steps. It's not a formula. It's like absolute dependency on God. It's a miracle. And it happens like through prayer and, you know, spirituality or connection to, to Jesus. So simple. <laughs> we, I love it. It was fully okay. caught too. Like the, when you first said, you know, like, let's just be honest. This isn't just a, you know, pull up your bootstrap self-help thing. Like you're going to need the Holy Spirit. I was tracking with you there until you said, let's, you took it further. and was like, it's a miracle. It's like, <gasps> oh, there, yeah. you had yeah, me I'll until you told me it was a miracle and not something that I can do. You had me until then. So I'm, yeah, whatever. I'm from the <laughs> West. It's all about what I can do. <laughs> Um, okay, so this this is one of the beauties of us um, having a live audience is we have the ability to interact with Cesar. So, John, can you take a peek in the chat? Here's how we're going to do it. Put your questions in the chat. John and I will read them out. Cesar will uh, speak to it. But if you are listening to this podcast uh, later, it's always worth noting that we record these live because we get the joy of interacting with our thought leader for the day. So that's so fun. All right, John, you got one? Yeah, Paul, Paul always lobs some good ones in. So he was just saying, how do we, if I'm interpreting it correct, correctly, and if I'm not, I'm sorry, Paul, maybe I have a better question. I don't know. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, Paul's getting at this idea of like uh, the, say, the more affluent church is the helper of the less affluent church. And what you're describing is a, a relationship of mutuality between two between the affluent and the non-affluent churches and the, the rich and the poor. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. And so how do we, how do we cultivate that sense, especially from the affluent churches? How do we cultivate that sense? That this isn't just about us like sending money and, you know, doing, fulfilling our obligation to the poor, but this is a mutual relationship. What needs to happen in us to make that happen? Well, I, I, I would say that uh, one of the, of the first steps has to do with actually what you said, John, having a relationship. So that means to, to know the people that you are, that you are supporting, to speak uh, with them, to invite them to your church, to visit that church. Uh, if, if, if you only send money, which is, of course, important, but it's at the same time the easiest way to do you keep your distance in a way that well you 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 are not being a community it's not an issue of just uh sending money it has to do with relationship that means becoming becoming friends brothers and sisters with others 
and, 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 and people that are coming from different cultures and, and that are belong to, to a different nation, right? So, uh, yeah, uh, sending money without relationship is not, is not uh, what help people in the global south. I mean, you can, and I, I, I am speaking now from my own experience. I, when I was uh, planting a church in, in Bogota, there was a local congregation that was sending us money and I was asking, we would like to pray for you. Could, could you give us some information about your prayer request? I never re- received an answer. There was only the check coming, but never an yeah. answer about my emails. Yeah. That's, that's not what, what, what uh, the church needs. Where, where's it, where's some, what are some tangible models? So let, let's say I'm a, I'm a leader in a church context and I can't, I don't have the money to fly somebody if I if we need we could to fly somebody to come visit us and they don't have the money to come visit us and we don't have the money to go visit them and we want to we want to have a two-way mutual relationship how do I start one and how do I sustain that when we can't be physically in proximity to each other what are models where you see that working yeah well in Mennonite World Conference that's basically our call to support and help churches to, to go in that way so uh, and now with technology, it's amazing what, what you can what, what you can do. Uh, I'm thinking about a recent experience of, of the prayer network. We have a global prayer network in which we meet by Zoom to pray from each other. And uh, the last time that we did, it was a couple of weeks ago. There were around a total of 120, 140 people from many different countries. We had translators into Spanish, French. Oh, wow. uh, the language oh, cool. of, of Indonesia, uh, there was translation into Hindu. That's like Book Hindu, of Acts kind of stuff Indian. there. Yeah. And we were praying for each other and we were sharing the, 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 the concerns of many of these churches. And it was uh, one hour of praying together. So that's a very practical way. And it's again, now it's, it's very easy to do that. It doesn't imply uh, big budgets. You can, you can be in touch receiving receiving emails about prayer requests about news you can sign up to get mwc news uh, that's that's for free and you will know what is going on in other places around the world in our churches how to pray for them you can use our materials that are online to 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 get information and also to join with others on on worship services and in different ways of, of working together there are projects of education theological education there are projects of health there are projects of peacemaking. There are projects of church planting. All of those things that are part of our Anabaptist understanding of following Christ that we want to do in one interdependent, global, transnational way. That's key. I, I mean, I know that you keep bringing us back to relationship and you're showing examples of like, this is what relationship looks like. And if these two pieces aren't there, then it's not a relationship. I think that interdependence is a key. You used the example of the church that was that was sponsoring your church in Colombia, but would not be willing to even receive the prayers of their sister right. church. Like, I think that's a, I mean, we struggle with that in general in a privileged context of like, we love to be the givers, but as soon as life has required us to be receivers, we're like all kinds of twitchy. And I think, I think there is, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and call out one of the, uh, when you're like, I think you should be asking yourself that question. I think one of the idols here is truly at its root, a sense of superiority. I think that is, there is a, 
foundation sitting underneath these things that we like to think it's just about us being generous. But in reality, if we're not willing to be interdependent, it's speaking to something. It's speaking to something not good. And I don't think it's speaking just to, a, well, we didn't know how to figure out the technology to be in right. relationship. I think it speaks to a, a, a thing that needs to be addressed. So Cesar, before we, we're going to um, go into breakout rooms, we'll conclude our time with Cesar. And for those who would like to stay and kind of continue this conversation and unpacking what you heard and adding some of our own commentary and experience, we're going to break out into uh, a few breakout rooms to discuss that in just a minute. But I wanted to ask, like, again, you know, our audience is a mix of those who come from historic churches rooted in the radical reformation we you know called anabaptists but many of those listening to this podcast and many of those who are even on this call are not in those denominations and so they're hearing this vision of mennonite world conference bringing together leaders and churches relationally mutual submission how can they participate if how can we participate if we're not from an anabaptist communion well, as, as we have been speaking, the most important thing is, is relationship. So in Mennonite World Conference, we are, we, we, we try to be an organic movement, which even though we have an institutional life is not, is not, uh, one that, that exclude others. So it's, it's, it's uh, an invitation to work together, which means that it, it, regardless of your, your, uh, theological uh, how to say that point of origin, regardless of your church, regardless, regardless of your denomination. If you are convinced of this way of following Christ, if you, if you want to, to follow Christ with these kind of values, then you are more than welcome to join. And that has been the experience of people. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about, about uh, local congregations and some individuals in the UK, in the United Kingdom, also in uh, South Korea. In Australia, in uh, South Africa, there are networks of people and local congregations that belong to denominations that are not officially Anabaptist, but that share this kind of understanding. Mm -hmm. And and it's great, uh, right? We we are not called to to say to people, well, you know, if you don't uh, if you don't have this name, then you are not allowed to live in this way. Well, that's that's not the Jesus way. We are in, not we the are Jesus way. <laughs> yeah, we are just uh, so happy to see people joining this way of, of, of understanding what means to follow Christ. And, uh, and then we have, yeah, people from different backgrounds that participate in these meetings that, again, are not official members of Mennonite World Conference, but have the relationship. And that, at the end, is the most important thing. That's great. Um, so how can those listening, because in the chat here, we've got some links that were shared. How can those listening, what's a simple way for them to learn more about Mennonite World Conference? I would say to go to the website, Mennonite World Conference. The website is uh, MWC, Mennonite World Conference, MWC.CMM, which is, 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 the, is the acronymus for the same name in Spanish and French. Oh, Everything cool. that we do, we do uh, in Spanish, French, and English. Yeah. That's so great. MWC, uh, then uh, uh, CMM, and you you will see it in the in the website. I think is there. If you if you sign up for uh, the news release, which is called Info, that will be I would say the, the first step. You can also sign up for the magazine. That's also for free. Uh, 
Uh, and in that way, if you just subscribe to our list of, of subscribers, uh, then uh, you will receive a lot of materials and you can start this process of becoming part of, of this of this global network, this way of following Christ together. Uh, that will be the first step and participate in online events like the prayer hour that I mentioned it happens every two months. Uh, so that's another way. The assembly, we have a global assembly, which is the equivalent of a worship mm -hmm. service in a local congregation, but this is in a global way. Mm -hmm. So we, we do this every six years in different continents. Uh, we, we had one in 2003 in Zimbabwe. Uh, before of that, it was in India. After the Zimbabwe, it was in Paraguay. Uh, the last one was in U.S. The coming one is, is going to be this coming year in Indonesia. So oh, wow. we have the, the chance of worshiping with believers from Indonesia, which, by the way, is the country which, uh, which, uh, which has the, the, the major number of Muslim people in the population. Right. So and in, right there in that context, we have thousands of Anabaptist followers of Christ worshiping Jesus in, in this kind of context. So we will be there. This will be this coming year. Uh, in Indonesia. So all that information is in the, in the website. Uh, and, uh, yeah, maybe you can, you can, uh, uh, say it aloud, John or Angela. I think it's in the chat. Uh, the, the, the address of the, of the MWC website where you can find all this information. Yes. Yeah. It looks like, um, www.mwc slash cmm.org. Perfect. It's actually a dash. That's actually a dash. So if we're going to say, say it out loud to people. Well, mwc-cmm.org. Okay. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Hey, Cesar, thank you for being with us today. This has just been so rich uh, to have our minds expanded and hopefully our experience of Jesus through the lived experience of our brothers and sisters around the world. Thank you. For those listening today, thank you for tuning into this Jesus Collective podcast. You can go to the uh, to jesuscollective.com to learn more about Jesus Collective. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out jesuscollective.com where you can hear stories, find info about upcoming events and workshops, maybe even explore getting involved through partnership as a church or an individual leader. Listening is such an important part of our journey as an organization. So please feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and your feedback. Drop us a message on social media or you can email us at connect at jesuscollective.com. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center.